All right. 1 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. <laughs> What's going on, Renaissance? Hey, so uh, when I was about, there's one person that's happy <laughs> to be here. It's, it's cold. You guys got to thaw out. On my walk over here, my nostrils froze. So uh, God bless everybody who made it out. Hey, so when I was about 14 years old, I had this job at this uh, catering hall called The Fountainhead, and we did weddings, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. Uh, my electric slide game was on point the entire duration of my employment there. And um, one time that I was there, I got really tired of this one guy, this dude. He looked like Idris Elba, this tall Jamaican dude, getting all the attention from all of the women there uh, because he would grab his tray as a waiter and just yank it up with one hand and throw it all up in the air and walk out confidently, stop to have conversations, and it was pretty impressive. But me, being 14 years old, I had some little scrawny arms, uh, I would try to load up my trays in two different rounds. So once I would put up like five plates and then I would walk back and, and load it up. But one day I was looking at this Idris Elba looking dude uh, loading up his tray with like 20 plates and I was like, yo, today is the day. Today is the day where J.O. gets the attention. So I loaded up my tray with like 10 plates and I, and I put it up and I yoist, put it in the air as high as I could and as about three seconds after the adrenaline uh, rush subsided for me, uh, so excited that I actually lifted it up in the air, I realized that this was one of the worst decisions that I had ever made. <laughs> now, I had two choices. I could either A, lower it, take some plates off, be a humble man, and uh, uh, take two different trips, or B, I could just go for it. Now, yeah, there we go, B, that's the one I went for. <laughs> I yanked it up in the air, and I said, well, maybe if I walk faster, it will help. So I started walking fast through the dance floor, cutting through people, and about five steps onto the dance floor, I threw the entire tray <laughs> onto the ground. It came crashing down. I ruined somebody's wedding. Uh, it, was, it was a bad day. Hey, but here's the reason that it came crashing down. My little arms were not strong enough to support that much weight. Hey, so we're in this new series called It's Complicated. And as we start this new series, one of the things that I want to do as we approach uh, talking about love and sex and relationships is I want to give us a good framework to understand marriage. Because one of my uh, biggest beliefs, and we'll see this unpacked today throughout Scripture, is that we have catapulted marriage to such an ultimate place 
that it holds a weight in our society, and it holds a weight even in church, so much so that it crushes single people on Valentine's Day, and it crushes marriages as well. It presents false expectations of what the, the purpose and the reality of marriage is, and it crushes it. Here's what I hope we're going to discover today, that nobody, nobody can bear the weight of being our ultimate joy. Nobody can bear the weight of being, um, of being our ultimate joy. Now, marriage is, is a good thing, and I don't want to at all say that marriage is not a good thing, um, and I also don't want to uh, just go on in this message and not realize my handicap, and my handicap is I'm a very happily married man, and I'm not just saying that because my wife is staring at me and I'm scared of her. Uh, <laughs> Did I say it well enough, honey? Okay, good. <laughs> Listen, I realize my handicap of being a married guy, talking to people about, hey, marriage is not an ultimate thing, and all of this stuff. You might want to start rolling your eyes if you're single, like, what does this dude even know? What does he even, where does he get the nerve? Where does he get the gall to talk to me about what it feels like to be single? Um, Listen, I haven't always been married. If you guys know my story, I was married uh, when I, in my 20s, and my late wife passed away from cancer, and I found myself single again. And this time, it wasn't by choice. It wasn't because I wanted to take some time off. It wasn't because I wanted to be single. It was because her life was snatched from me. And I know what it feels like to not just be single, but also feel like there's no relationship on the horizon. It's not like I can say, well, at least I have this going on, and I'll probably be in a relationship in a couple of years, a couple of months. I didn't have any of that. Because like one of the, the, last, uh, the least attractive things is that you're a widowed dude. Like that's not a good pickup line to say, hey, my name is Jordan, I love sports, I'm a Scorpio, and my wife died. Like that pickup line doesn't work on anybody. It worked on Jessica, surprisingly, but nobody else. <laughs> It doesn't work, it doesn't work on, on, it didn't work on anybody else. I've tried, it didn't work, trust me. Hey, but I know what it feels like to be truly single, and I know what it feels like to be married, and in both single stage, and both being widowed, and also being married. Listen, here's what the message I would have preached to Jordan, and here's the message I'm preaching to Jordan almost every single day, that nobody, nobody, not the most amazing spouse in the world, nobody can bear the weight of being your ultimate joy. And if you put that weight on them, if you put that weight on somebody else, if you attach your identity to somebody else in that regard, it's going to come crashing down. Now, uh, you know, here's what makes uh, both, both being single and married complicated. Uh, even if we don't admit it, uh, the thing that complicates both being single and being married is that we believe this myth called the right person myth. And what's the right person myth? That if uh, I meet the right person, everything will be okay. That right now it's not okay, but when I meet the right person, it's going to be okay. And we go through our single life hoping and praying and dreaming and watching romantic comedies about how somebody got swept off their feet. And we, in our minds, we're thinking that if I meet the right person, everything is going to be okay. And to the married people, we believe the right person myth as well, that once upon a time, she was the right person. She accepted me as I, as I was. She didn't try to change me. And she was going to let me be me. And then you got married. And then you realize that this person that you thought was, gonna, was so perfect wasn't perfect after all. And not even like the imperfections that you were willing to accept, right? Not like she put on five pounds here, you know, or not that he put on, you know, like, oh, you know, at first he got a little, he got a little, a little pouch, you know what I'm saying? Like, nah, he got it all. It's, it's, <laughs> he got the Santa Claus going on. 
And we realize that people are really flawed, and I'm not talking about small things, that people really have problems. They have real addictions. They struggle with things way past where you're comfortable. And when we believe this right person myth, that uh, the right person is going to come along and make us feel good about everything, when people disappoint us, it crushes our relationships. Because I was looking at you to make everything all right, and you're not making everything all right. I was looking for you to make this whole thing make sense, and now my life is actually messier with you than it was without you. And we believe this right person myth, and it's a pretty dangerous one. And if we believe that, listen, it will crush everything inside of us. Now, part of the right person myth is that we believe, and we, even if we don't say it, we believe that marriage is the ultimate goal. We believe that marriage is the ultimate goal, and one day, we hope to be married, sitting on a beach, eating pineapples with somebody, and life will be grand forevermore. And we will believe that marriage is the ultimate thing, that if you're single, God is cruel because he hasn't given you what's ultimate. If God hasn't given you this thing that will ultimately satisfy you, then who is this God? How dare he withhold this good, good thing from me? Listen, marriage is a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. And if we put it to the place of being an ultimate position, it will crush you. It will crush you in your singleness, and it will crush you in your marriage. Now, nobody can bear the weight of being our joy, our ultimate joy. And fortunately for us, God doesn't want us to believe uh, this right person myth. Uh, and despite the way the church, even the church has elevated marriage uh, to this ultimate place, it's not. And we're going to see some stuff from Scripture that really uh, undoes that. Because, uh, you know, in, even in church society, uh, we believe, you know, if you want to be a good Christian, get married. If you want to be a great Christian, get married and have kids. If you want to be an amazing Christian, get married, have kids, and adopt a baby. And you are like, <laughs> that's the trifecta right there. All good things. All good things. But none of these things are, are ultimate things. So we see this passage of Scripture that we're going to get into today. We're going to really mainly stay in verses 6 uh, through 8. Uh, scripture gives us a much different picture of what we see in romantic comedies today of the view of marriage, and I think it's going to hopefully lighten the load for us. Uh, it's going to take some of the load and the pressure off of your relationships, and it will take some of the pressure off uh, of the way that you live uh, as, as a single person. So verses 6 through 8, Paul says like this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were like myself, were as I myself am, but each has his own gift, one of one kind, and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, in these three verses, I want to call our attention to a few things, uh, because like all of you guys, I tend to get off track in my relationships, and I start putting the expectations and too much weight on Jessica, and, and every single time that I do, or even if I put it on, on Jameson and being a father, or me as a, as a pastor, and how much weight I put on myself in that. Listen, every time I put my weight on that, the, my, my ultimate identity, my attachment on those things, every single time it comes crashing down. So Paul does two things in this scripture that I want to I wanna spend some time for the rest of today talking about. Uh, the first thing that Paul does is he redefines what constitutes a gift from God. Paul redefines what is a gift from God. Now, he says something kind of weird. If you don't know what he's talking about, um, some of my single people in here might be shaking your head like, listen, man, I, I don't know how in the world Paul can call being single a gift. Maybe as soon as you break up and you're like so happy you're not with that person anymore, you're happy. Uh, but I don't know how in the world Paul can call being single a gift. And, and I think it's this way uh, much uh, because we have a, a, a different definition of what gift is than Scripture does. And now, listen, Paul, 
Paul knew what it meant to be married, and he knew what it meant to be singled. Uh, most scholars believe that Paul was actually a widower. Now, in those times, it was very common for uh, men to be widowed. Uh, childbirth uh, is still today, and certainly was back then, a very, very dangerous thing with no hospitals, no antibiotics, and people could easily get one small infection and bleed out. Uh, so a lot of men were, were widowed, mainly because their wives died during childbirth. And Paul was a Pharisee, and it was very likely that um, Paul was married at some point because to be a good Pharisee, you had to be married. So it was likely that he got married and his wife died, and he had chosen to be single for the rest of his life. And that's not my goal for today. My goal is not to say, hey, you should stay single for the rest of your life. If you want to get married, like I said, it's a good thing. Go for it. I, I hope and pray that everybody in here that wants to be married gets married at some point, and I hope you have a really strong foundation in your marriage. And this is what we're talking about today, not to try to dissuade you from getting married, but rather going into marriage with the right lens. So Paul uh, lets us know that there's, uh, he says something in verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as myself am, um, but each has his own gift, one of one kind, singleness, and one of another, marriage. Now, when I hear the word gift, I think about like Christmas morning or my birthday, uh, or like even when you think of a good gift, like what's the best gift somebody's ever gotten you, right? I remember when I was like 12 years old, my parents got me and my brother like a remote control hovercraft, and that drink was amazing. It went like three miles an hour, but it can go on land, water, we put it in the bathtub. It was like the most amazing gift ever. We wanted it. We saw all the commercials, and when we got it, we went crazy. So when I think of gift, that's normally what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about something that I really, really, really wanted. But Paul has a much different uh, definition of gift. Because if you're trying uh, to justify singleness as a gift, if it's not making you happy, then how in the world is it a gift? Now, here's the thing. Uh, scripture gives a much different interpretation of what gift is, and it's not this American uh, self-centered, self-indulgent, self-fulfilling thing at all. It's rather something that God allows to happen in your life to bless other people. That the scriptural definition of a gift is that what God allows in your life so that you could be a conduit to bless other people. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, later in this um, same book that he's writing, he talks about gifts. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now listen to what he says. Listen, everybody is given this gift, not for your good, but for the common good. That uh, if we decide that gifts are all about fulfilling us, um, then this is what's going to happen. We'll, we'll reject singleness because it's not what we wanted. I didn't want this, this gift under the tree. Has anybody ever gotten like a gift that there's no way you wanted? Like you, and you, you won the Oscar for like pretending like you cared about this gift. Like you were sitting around a circle at the office and somebody hands you like a box of hamburger helper and you're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Italian seasoning joint? Yeah, yeah, I'm about to smash this joint. And it's because, uh, listen, gifts to us are what make us feel good, what make us happy, what the things that we wanted for us. And Scripture gives us a different view of, uh, of a gift, and it's that we are the conduits by which God gives us gifts to bless other people. God gives us things, not for us, but to bless other people. And here's why this is so dangerous, right? If you're married and you believe that your spouse is your gift to you, you're going to use her. You're going to use him. They won't be there. They'll be there for your enjoyment, for your benefit. And take two people, I dare you, take two people who are looking at the other person to fix them, to make them feel significant, 
to give them value, to be their gift. And I will show you two very self-centered people on the path of self-destruction. But rather, take two different people, right, and say, hey, I'm not here for me. I'm here to serve. Two people coming into a marriage like that radically changes things. And if we understand a gift as something that is intended to benefit us and us only, then we'll be using people. And as a, and, and as, as a single person, you'll be thinking that God is withholding something good from you because God is not allowing you to have everything you want to have. Now, Paul wants to redefine what we see as a gift and take a quick uh, story in scripture. There's a guy named Joseph, and if you guys have been to Sunday school growing up, you might have heard this story. If you're new to church, uh, maybe not. This dude, Joseph, uh, way back in ancient Israel, he had a lot of brothers, and he told his brothers, like, yo, God gave me a vision that one day I'm going to be the man, right? I'm going to be the right-hand man, and people are going to show mad respect to me. They're going to love me, and even you, my own brothers, are going to bow down to me. Brothers got mad, uh, sold him into slavery, and he was sold into slavery, and finally he got his way out and made it to the, uh, the palace, and then somebody lied on him, and then he got thrown into jail. And while he was in jail the second time, he had a vision from God that there was a famine coming in the land, and he was perfectly positioned to tell somebody that, yo, there's a famine coming in the land, and because of Joseph's vision in jail, after being sold into slavery, uh, thousands and thousands of lives were saved because of what he did. Now, God gave Joseph a gift. He gave him a gift, and it wasn't for himself, because if it was just for him and how he felt, man, he wouldn't have had to go through slavery and, and being thrown in prison over and over again. But rather, the opposite was true, that God wanted to use Joseph's life to bless other people's lives. And when God gives us gifts, this is what he's doing. He wants to use our lives to impact others, not the other way around. So the second thing that Paul is doing here is uh, he's reordering what's ultimate. So he redefines what's a, real, what's a gift, and he reorders um, what's ultimate. And he tells all the single people in the church, listen, listen, I'm going to remain single, and it's not the worst thing in the world if you do that either. And what, the reason Paul is doing this is twofold, and one of them is because he knows deep down inside that marriage is not an ultimate thing. You don't need to be married. Your value is not less than because you're not married. You're not less of a person. You're not... Uh, there, you know, you are not missing out on the life experience. You are not less loved by you're not less loved by God because you're not married. You are a whole person by yourself, fully loved, and you don't need anybody on top of that. If you want to get married, great. If you want to get married, great. Do it. It's a good thing, but it is not an ultimate thing. And the second thing um, in reordering what's ultimate, and man, when I when I read stuff like this, I I, I feel really convicted because I see so many areas in my life that I've attached my uh, well-being and my identity and my meaning and my significance and my hope in a people, a person, a place, a job, a bank account statement, and something else. And every single time I put the weight on that, it comes crashing down because nobody or, or no thing can bear the weight of being your ultimate joy. So here's one thing that Paul was getting at in this, in this chapter of Scripture he says the reason that he chose to remain single, right, this is not a command, he says, this is not a command, right? The reason he chose to remain single is because he wanted uh, God's story in his life to be the ultimate thing. And the best way that he knew how to do it was to remain single. That he wanted to be, to be able to fully devote himself to living a life in service of God. Now again, I'm married, I don't plan on not being married uh, um, anytime soon, and I, and I think you can absolutely serve the Lord married or single. But to Paul, here's the thing that's convicting to me. 
to Paul, what was the ultimate thing was God's story. And listen, I am, I am the star. I am the Oscar winner of Jordan Rice's own story so often. And so often I see myself putting weight in stuff to make me feel more significant, uh, to make me feel more uh, important, and all these different things. And the last thing I'm thinking about is living God's story. And if you're single and you're struggling with being single, here, here's what I would say, and I'll say this as gently as I know how, that maybe, 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 that it's so difficult because we're not seeing the importance of living our stories inside of a much bigger story, uh, which is God's story for your lives. Now, when you look back on this time of your life, when you're 90 years old, um, and you're telling stories about the past, what do you want your story to be? What do you want your story to be that in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, or whatever the age group is, that, listen, I didn't trust God, I just wanted what I wanted, and I wanted it now? Or wouldn't it be a much better story to say, listen, life never turned out the way I wanted it to in so many different instances, but every single step of the way, man, I lived my life for God. I trusted him along the way. And that's a story that's worth living. And Paul is trying to reorder uh, what's ultimate. And the reason he does this is because, uh, like one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp, says it. He says, all of us attach our identity, our meaning, and purpose, an inner sense of well-being to something. We either get these things vertically from the creator, or we look to get them horizontally from the creation. And here's what happens so, so often when I see it in, in, in married couples. Um, we're looking to get the significance, our ultimate joy from this person, and they disappoint us. And here's how I've seen it happen in very practical ways, that I put my ultimate joy, I put, I've attached my identity and my meaning to, to this person, and they disappoint you, and they're not making me happy anymore. So then eventually, your eyes start to look to the left and to the right. And at first, it starts on the computer screen, looking at stuff you're not supposed to be looking at, and then it starts looking at other people. And then all of a sudden, it comes crashing down in a heap of smoke because we put a weight on our marriage to make us uh, feel a certain way that we were never intended to put on that weight of marriage. And for single people, in attaching our weight and uh, the weight of our identity and our purpose and our joy to being married one day and finding this right person, listen, I've seen some of the most people, faithful, amazing people, really, really struggle uh, with contentment, not because they don't, you know, they're not good people, but because they just weren't trusting that God uh, was active in their lives and that God was working and they weren't able to see that God's story was much more important than this, their story, and that, this, that the entirety of the working of God wasn't all about them and, and filling their lives. So when we don't have this good, ultimate thing in a marriage, man, it's impossible for them to even be happy or content. Now, I say this as somebody who has spent the vast majority of my life discontent. If I wasn't discontent about my grades in high school, I was discontent about playing time in, in college. If I wasn't discontent about playing time, I was discontent that I didn't have enough money in my bank account. And if I wasn't discontent about money, it was career, whatever. And I'm discontent every other week. So this is not me uh, trying to beat you guys over the head. But listen, we have to try to unhinge, unhinge our contentment, unhinge our identity from somebody else because nobody else, listen, it doesn't matter, nobody else can bear that weight of being your ultimate joy and we're going to end up dissatisfied. Now, the, one of the things that I've, I've realized in my own life, and I certainly in, in talking to other people, is that primarily we're struggling, uh, not because our marriage is a bad or the relationship is bad, but primarily because we have a, a, a trust issue and we're not seeing that what God wants to give us in our lives is better than what we can dream of on our own. And that's primarily because we're looking at the word gift in the sense of what is here to serve, serve me. So the gospel is the only thing that can unhinge that. And what do I mean uh, by that? 
Um, the best story I know how to tell it is my son is nine months old now and he's crawling and it's really cool to watch him crawl around and find different things to get into. He'll grab a cord, a live wire and try to put it in his mouth. So you have to just follow him. He doesn't crawl that fast just yet, but you have to follow him. You can't like take your eyes off of him for one second because if you do, he's going to get into something that you don't want him getting into. And every now and then, he'll grab something that he definitely shouldn't have. And I can do two things as a father. I can either A, just yank it out of his hand because I'm stronger than he is, or B, I can show him something else, something more beautiful, something more lovely, something that grabs his attention even more than the thing that he's holding in his hand, and he willingly lets go and goes after the thing that I want him to have. Listen, I'm not saying um, that we shouldn't be in relationships and have good relationships. What I am saying is a lot of times you and I are chasing after things. And the, 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 what God wants to do in our lives is to show us something much better than us trying to put the weight of our identity in somebody else. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be amazing if you can have an identity, if you could have a, a security that doesn't depend on whether or not you look good without makeup? <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing if you could have identity and security if, if it didn't matter what was in your bank account? Whether or not you hit the gym in, in six months. See, this is what God is holding out to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can get unconditional acceptance, even though we're undeserving people, by an unobligated giver. And that's the one that God wants you to, to hinge your identity and your meaning to, because God and God alone, he is the only one that, you, that can tolerate the weight of our identities and our purpose and our meaning and our significance. And anything else we try to grab onto, it's going to come crashing down. See, brothers and sisters, I would love nothing more than for all of us to be in, in amazing relationships, uh, than for all of us to, be, to find the one. And I hope you find him at Renaissance. I hope you find him today, right? There we go. <laughs> Hey, but until, until that day happens for singles and married people, um, uh, I, my hope and prayer is that you would, you would not look to your spouse to be that person that gives you that meaning and that significance. And instead of God ripping this out of your hand, uh, instead of God just taking your dream and yanking it out, listen, in the meantime, in the meantime, I pray that you guys would be able to understand what is this gospel, right? That while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, ungodly for the messed up person, for the one that didn't deserve it. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. That God, in, before eternity, decided to pour out his love on you. And that status can never change. That status is not complicated. That status is clear, it's direct, and it's fixed. Yeah. And that's the only thing that's going to be able to bear the weight of our identity. Unconditional acceptance given to this undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel of grace. As we go out into uh, the rest of our week and uh, spend the rest of your Valentine's Day, listen, if God hasn't sent the right person for you, keep waiting. Keep waiting. Pray, right? Start praying for God to send that right person to you. And this, this right person is not going to be somebody that's going to come and make everything all right. They're going to be jacked up. Because there's only one person in here that's married to somebody perfect, and that's my wife, because I'm perfect. No. <laughs> but everybody else, unfortunately. Uh... 
Hey, but in the meantime, I, I, want, you to, I want you to renew your trust in God. That, listen, I don't know what the status, status of all your marriages are or your, or your singleness. Listen, just trust God and, and determine today that you're going to live in his story. Regardless of what's going on in your world, that God, I want to be this conduit that you bless other people with. I want to live my story in yours. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, that you don't rip stuff out of our hands. Uh, God, I, I pray that you would give us a vision and a picture of the reality of, of the gospel and that we would see the security, the, the, the beauty of what you have done for us on the cross. And God, I pray that that would allow us to not attach our ultimate uh, joys and hopes and, and dreams in anybody else because they're going to disappoint us eventually. God, I pray for everybody here that's struggling in, in relationships that there's been trauma, there's been something really bad that's happened. God, we don't want to minimize the pain and the hurt that is very real or people who have uh, really been in, in, in anguish, even on today on Valentine's Day. God, we don't want to minimize any of that stuff. God, I just ask that you would be the, with them and, and keep them. God, in the meantime, God, give us a vision. God, help us to see uh, we're living a part of your story. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.